dogs, swab the decks and hoist the sails. The guns on board be needing some proper manning. Pieces of eight and a fine wench on your arm if your work be not too shoddy. Careful not to flounder too badly though, or you may have to dance the hemp and jig as we see you to Davy Jones. The Jeffy, my boy, on with the show. Avast, me hearties. To our listeners from across all regions of the planet, welcome once again aboard the Robin Hood, flagship to the world's one and only cooperatively inspired charity podcast network, WPRPN. With this year's Winter Olympics now in full swing, the tone of political reconciliation miraculously reverberates from across the Korean Peninsula. As we present to you this week's show, episode number 95 of Pirate Radio Podcasts. I'm your host as always, the ship's chief communications officer, Jaffe Ryder. Joining us this week for our first hour only, author of Symbiosis, a love beyond space and time, Nancy Tremaine. Born in Detroit, Michigan, the middle of five children, Nancy claims to be a lifelong experiencer, messenger, and participant in the Alien Hybrid Project. Symbiosis is the story of her lifelong relationship with a reptilian being named simply Mr. He. In her book, she details the information she's received in the form of downloads and the loving messages she has been asked to share with humanity. Despite her age, menopause, and a laparoscopic tubal ligation at the age of 30, she also became pregnant with her hybrid son, Drax. For over six years, despite severe frustration and pain, and after failing to receive the support of her family, Nancy has, nonetheless, continued to reach out hoping to be heard and find joy in a world where she often feels she does not belong. Hopefully have a chance to hear her today, for the first hour at least. Here I am. Just working on getting some technical business in order. And it looks like, yeah, we can hear you fine on this end, Nancy. Right. You can hear us, so... We're pretty much off to the races. We've only got an hour here for our conversation, a chance, of course, to hear your story. So first things first, though, it's kind of interesting. You're based out of Michigan. It's uh, quite something. Just last week, our guest that we had was also himself based out of Michigan. So something going on with, I guess, that uh, particular state as far as uh, synchronicity to things, I suppose, quite something. Yes. So, yeah, we've connected here. That's great. We got you for the just the first hour. And the second, uh, well, the after you uh, make your way on out the door, what we're going to do is open things up for just listeners' comments. Maybe there's other people that would like to join us here on Skype. We're also going to go over a few of the maybe current news items that are pressing and people would like to discuss and so forth. So we first heard about you 
via Grant Cameron, I guess it was, and his independent publishing company, It's All Connected. We had an email sent to us pitching the idea of perhaps doing a show. So how long have you known Grant? Um, just a year. I'd like to shout out to him. I call him Sir Grant Cameron because uh, he made my book possible. He believed in me, and I'm very grateful. So the name of the book is um, Symbiosis. And for people that don't know what the definition of symbiosis is, it's a mutually beneficial relationship between two organisms. And my book is about my relationship with the reptilians who have gotten a bad rap unfortunately, from some researchers. And my main mission is to help humanity to lose the fear and open their minds to the idea that these light knowledge energy beings are not what they have been made to believe. Yeah, that is something that you find quite a lot throughout the world of ufological studies. The reptilians, as you say, do have a pretty bad rap. So what then has been your experience? When did you first come into contact with Mr. He? Well, I'll start from the beginning. It started for me when I was 12 years old. It was the summer of 1961, and it was a daylight sighting, although it was shortly after 6, and I was returned home at 10 to 9. So this all took place in that period of time. I was at my girlfriend's house, and we had been friends for three years. We met when we were 9. And Novi, Michigan back then was all country. Dirt roads, uh, subdivisions were just being built. Houses were scattered apart, and my dad had agreed that I could go to Cindy's house because there was a direct view from my front door to hers, and um, we were inside the house playing, and her father screamed for us to come outside. We walked out the front door, and I always say this, as we walked out the door, it was like the part in the movie The Wizard of Oz where the movie goes from black and white to color because what we saw forever changed us. There was a silver ship hovering above a tree between our homes and uh, it was totally silent and other neighbors had started to come outside and Cindy's father had a tripod he was setting it up and um, nobody was saying a word I mean Cindy and I didn't say a word we were just in awe at this sight there was a belt in the middle of the ship of red green and white lights and it was beautiful the sky was blue it was beautiful the ship hovered there at least 20 minutes because the chief of police took phone calls for at least 20 minutes he said we watched as a first the police pulled up somebody had called the police and a police car came real slowly down the dirt road you could hear the gravel hitting the tires that's the only sound you could hear and the car parked in front of where we were we were gathered And the two officers got out of the car, and they walked backwards, (laughs) Um, so they were facing the ship. And um, I remember grabbing the one officer's arm and um, yanking on it, and he looked down at me real quick, and I tried to voice three simple words, and it was just so difficult. I said, is this real? Because I couldn't believe what was happening. And he didn't say a word. He, you know, they just went back to staring at the ship. And then a car started coming down Meadowbrook Road, heading right underneath where the ship was hovering. I know we were all wondering, what the heck is wrong with this person? Why are they driving right in the path of this ship? 
and um, a beam of light started to come out, and it directed it. It was directed at the car very slowly. This light came out very slowly. It was a white light, and we were wondering what was going to happen when it hit the car. And the car was going slow. The second it hit the car, boom! The car was immobilized. And that's when I started jumping up and down and and screaming over here, over here. And Cindy was trying to stop me. I don't know why I did that. And then I said to the officer, "Do something," you know, like he's going to shoot it down or whatever. And the ship tilted on its side, and it spoke to me. Now the ship is alive; it's a conscious, living thing. And it said, "We see you." That's when I uh, lost it. I was hysterical. And um, the next thing I know, I was home. Now I grew up in a very strict family. Spankings were very common. My dad was, um, you know, we were all like little soldiers, all five of us. And I was never allowed out past dusk. And it was ten to nine when I got in the door, and my dad was kneeling on the kitchen floor, and he was holding me very tightly and saying, "You're home and you're safe. You're home and you're safe." And、um, I looked at the kitchen clock as he was holding me, and I could see that it said ten to nine. Now I would never have been allowed out, and it was getting dark, and it was never spoken about.、Uh, my dad silenced me that night. And I'll get to why he silenced me. He enforced silence. So for 50 years, it was never spoken about, even with Cindy. It was like a spell had been cast over the small. It was a village back then of Novi, and no one spoke of it. No one. And、um, over the 50 years, it was exactly 50 years. Cindy would enter my life over and over, and、um, her drinking would always be the reason that I would separate myself from her, and I would. I tried a couple of times. I, I said, "Cindy, can we talk?" And that's all I'd have to say. And she knew where I was going, and, and her whole body would start trembling, so I would drop it. And over the years, I went to several therapists because I suffered with post-traumatic stress disorder, panic attacks. I still have all of that, and the extreme anxiety. And I would beg them to hypnotize me so that I could remember what happened. I I, I never mentioned the ship. Never mentioned that. I just said there's something inside of me that needs to come out, and I would draw a picture of、uh, the ship and the the tree and the police car and the police, and I would draw that every year or so, and then I'd quickly discard it, you know. But I did that for my for my sanity. So, 50 years went by, and I was playing on the computer, and I saw the word ufologist, which I'd never heard. I didn't know there was such a thing. This was September of 2011. And he was a former Michigan State Director of MUFON. So I sent him an email saying I might have a story you'd be interested in hearing about a UFO in Novi. Well, he called me right away and asked me to tell him. And I said I can't do that. I haven't spoken about it in 50 years. And the next thing I know, I poured my heart out to this man, and we ended up meeting at a restaurant, and he brought several books. And pictures of aliens, and I looked at all the pictures, and nothing, none of the aliens rang a bell. Nothing jogged anything in my mind. I had so stored these memories so far back in my mind that I, I was just unable to get to them. And、uh, he found a regression therapist, Von Bowles, who was a college professor who had done hundreds of regressions, but never for an experiencer. So I didn't really know what was going to happen. And、um, 
we had the first regression at um, Dr. Wellness's sister's house because he wanted me to be comfortable with his sister and her husband would be there. And at the end of the first regression, I remembered how they got me. I was running, and I said, I'm hauling ass. And I knew that they were going to get me with a shock in the middle of my back because they told me. And I was running and saying, don't get me, don't get me. Get Cindy, too. And boom, when they got me in the back, I was frozen in that position, in running position, frozen, solid, like in a cartoon where you see the character frozen in position. And then I went from that into I was on my back. And now I'm in a wave. And I knew I was going up into the ship. And I was in some kind of an electrical wave. And it felt wonderful. And I kept saying over and over again, my my body is waving and rumbling to the low hum of the ship. And I knew I was going up into that ship. And that's where the first regression ended. And after that, I couldn't get enough. I mean, I wanted to find out everything I could. And I started my own investigation. I went after the former chief of police, who I'm still in contact with. He'll be 98 in July, and we talk a couple times a year. And I went after Cindy, my girlfriend, and um, finally got her to open up. And uh, she ended up having a regression with my regression therapist in 2015, and she died a few months after. She literally drank herself to death. She was hardcore alcoholic. So that's how... That all got started. You still have a mark on your back as well, too, I believe, or at least a slideshow. One of the photos that you provided, we do see in some indication of a scratch of some sort, or what happened there exactly? No, that was done um, in 2012 from my hybrid son while I was nursing him, and it was a hologram. I was putting on makeup at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and I saw these infected-looking scratch marks on my breast. By 5 o'clock, they were basically gone, and I've got pictures of them the following day, and there's nothing but a pink line. They were. I went to touch it with my finger, and there was absolutely no feeling, and I called Dr. Wellness, and I said, there are scratches on, on my chest, and they look raised and infected, but there's nothing there. They're not there. And he said, get pictures because they're going to fade quickly. And I wondered why he would even say such a thing, you know, how he would know that they were going to fade. He probably, or I should say maybe perhaps, had had prior experience with similar Um, cases being reported. He had still a researcher, so he's been a researcher now for nearly 60 years. So I think he's seen and heard it all. This is, uh, I don't think we've heard his name yet, have we? Or uh, Dr. Harry Wellness. Dr. Harry Wellness. W-I-L-L-N-U-S, correct. Former state director of MUFON in Michigan um, many years ago. He's, God, I don't know, 80-something now. Now, he wasn't there on the ground when this incident originally took place, but the police sergeant or captain was there were quite a few other people as well too from the sounds of things maybe you could just present to us or break down basically what you know as far as did anyone else have a similar experience what have these other people said of the incident since it actually first occurred okay well police chief lee begall 
took phone calls for over 20 minutes, and um, he called me. I gave him a letter. In my letter, I had said, I, you know, I know there was no police report made, and I know that this has bothered people over this half a century. And he called me, and he said, honey, you're not crazy. It really did happen. And um, he said, in the car that you saw immobilized, I believe was my one of my own officers in an off-duty car by the name of Martin Cohn. So that makes three police officers, the two, and one of the police officers who stood with us, this is where it gets, the synchronicities are unbelievable. His last name is Faulkner, and his brother was married to Cindy. Cindy and I both had multiple abusive marriages over the years, and one of her husbands was this police officer who was there that day, <laughs> Faulkner. And um, you're, you're saying, hang on, just one minute, that... Uh, one of the officers that was in attendance at the time of this incident later ended up marrying Cindy? His brother did, exactly. That was one of Cindy's husbands. Small she world. Had, yes, that's what I mean. There are so many synchronicities in the book that it's almost unbelievable. I've had people say, you know, you could just write a book of just a bunch of lies that would be more believable because it's synchronicity after synchronicity. The dates that line up, you know, an experiencer has to reassess everything that they believe to be true and question their place in the world and understand that the government that we thought was going to keep us safe does not exist. And I had to learn how to live in a, in a whole new world turned upside down. Your uh, father, you said, was in the process of setting up a tripod of some sort. It sounds like he was trying to get a picture. Did that actually ever take place? Did he manage no. to get any photos of the craft? That was Cindy's father, and he was setting up a tripod, and he asked us girls if we wanted to look through it, and I couldn't believe he would ask such a thing because the ship was literally right in front of us. So I don't know what he could possibly have seen that we didn't. And were there pictures taken? I'm sure there were, but... Now I'll tell you why I was silenced. Because this is only something that I've just learned within the last year through Chief Lee Begall. There was a full military investigation done. And let me get the information that he just did an interview with the Detroit Historical Society in September. I was there and I also participated in that interview. They still haven't posted it and they're not going to. Were there pictures? Yes, there were. The police chief said that they came in from Arizona or New Mexico and they came in to discredit everyone before they even got there. And they went door to door. And if there were pictures, and he said, they knew how to talk. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, they knew how to um, make me remember. They came in prepared to disbelieve everyone because things like that just don't happen, he said. They came from the Air Force, and um, he believes they came in the following night, although that night I remember the police car pulling up the driveway. Also, my father was sent to California after that. They wanted to talk to me, the um, military, and I was 12 years old. And my father, like I said, um, <laughs> he had been in the Air Force himself, and he was he threatened to kill him. He was not going to let them talk to his 12-year-old daughter after what I'd been through. And so they sent him to California on a business trip. And it was the only business trip my father was ever on. He was a hydraulic engineer in the aerospace division of Vickers in Troy, Michigan. And um, 
That's why I was silenced. He was retired then at this point when or sent on a holiday. I'm not I'm not too really clear no. on things there exactly. I fill in yeah. some of the blanks. No, he wasn't retired. He was still working as an aerospace uh, hydraulic engineer in the aerospace division uh, in 61. They thought that maybe they should give him a little time off, a bit of a sabbatical. They sent him to California for a little bit of uh, rest and recuperation. Yeah, well, they wanted to talk to him. They wanted to talk to my dad. I think they wanted to find out. My dad never told me what what, uh, they talked about. But I think they wanted to find out what I had said. And he was also offered a job transfer to Australia, which he refused. <laughs> so things got really weird. Would, would that come along with a, a pay raise as well? Like almost a bit of a relo- <laughs> relocation, but also maybe a promotion of sorts. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yes, yes, yes. And when people say, you know, well, there must be, you know. Are there pictures? I'm like, yeah, you can bet your ass there were pictures. It was daylight. The ship was hovering for over 20 minutes. Now, you can't tell me. And that's, that's, those are the days when the cameras, didn't they have those instant cameras where the pictures just shot out there and developed in front of your eyes in the 60s? Yeah, what year was this exactly? 64, 65? 61. It was 61. July. And okay. I have it narrowed down to a three-day period now after almost seven years of research. I'm still researching. And with all the high strangeness that... I had five regressions done right after I met Dr. Wellness. And after the third regression, it was like Pandora's box opened, and I somehow entered this um, <laughs> another dimension. I re- I'm receiving messages and uh, being used as a computer. And um, there's been so much going on. I'm already starting on my second book, and I have enough to start a third book because the high strangeness continues what was the ship doing there? And if you could maybe just take us to where you actually walked or were taken onto the craft and yeah. what you saw from that point on. Okay, I can tell you exactly. Through regressions and through memories that were returned to me, I was taken on board, like I said, in that wave, in that electrical wave. And as soon as I got on the ship, I ran right past the pilot. He was sitting on my left. And I ran right past him. I wasn't afraid. And I realized that the red, white, green lights that I'd seen from the outside were nothing more than giant windows all the way around from the inside. They had perfect, you know, view. Um, no furniture in there, nothing. And I ran to the window and I had to stand on my tiptoes so that I could see down where I'd been standing. I wanted to see where I'd been standing and there was no one there. The police car was gone. The police were gone. The only person that was there was Cindy's father, and he was looking up at the ship. Now, I just recently found out why there was no one there. Chief Begall told me that the cops got in the car and drove the hell away. They got out of there. And the people went in their houses. Cindy was on board for a couple of moments or minutes um, to appease me, and she was put into a cylindrical tube, and they performed a laparoscopy on me. They were small grays. The pilot looked like anybody's father. This is how he got his name. I said, I can't believe I'm on a flying saucer. And the pilot said, it's a ship. And I, Stella Spunky, I walked over to him with my hands on my hips and I said, Mister, this can't be a ship because a ship's what Captain Hook was on and a ship goes in the water. And he said, oh, but this does go in the water. And that's how he got his name, Mister. And that is the same light knowledge energy being that I communicate with now. 
as well as the collective mind. I get my messages from what I call the collective mind or from Mr. And then I was taken and they did procedures on me. They did a laparoscopy, which didn't even exist back in 1961, which is a needle that goes in the stomach. And they told me they wanted to see inside. Now, the reason they use those words, I realize now, is because at 12 years old, I would never have understood they were harvesting eggs. And then after that, they put a cylindrical metal rod in my right hand, and I instinctively knew to curl my fingers around it. And I think I sent you that picture. And if you look at that picture, you'll see the grays staring all at the same spot. And I didn't even notice it till after I drew it. See, they put these illustrations in my head until I draw them. And if you look, all of them are looking at a wall. Because all of the um, instruments and things that they use are retractable and flush in the wall, um, seamless. And they said, they gave me the message, take this baton and run with it. Be an ambassador. And that information was held inside of me for 50 years. So that's what happened the first time on board. And there was one being on board. I, I called her the nice one. She was a female. And... um she looked more human than the greys, and she was more human. She had uh, empathy. And, and I had said, Mr., why did you let them hurt me? And he said, your pain was perceived. And um, that really got me mad. And he explained to me that perception is the way that each of us define our reality. And he told me to expand my consciousness and to find the positive in every perception. And he said, through love, we are able to do this. And if we can conquer the idea that we are all part of one energy, then we'll be able to lose that fear. We will no longer fear the unknown. So the, the positive or the negative assessment of an ET experience is determined not by the actions of the ETs, but by our perception. There's said to be quite a few number of different alien races that exist as one might imagine, throughout the galaxy and greater, wider universe. Uh, mm -hmm. What has been said, though, regarding these, and I believe you, you were, uh, what you perceived were reptile-type creatures. I'm not sure. We haven't talked too much. And you haven't really described them in much detail. Yeah. Maybe you can do that next. But one of the things that, as you probably are aware, fundamentalist Christians will almost immediately attack or lash out at, Anything that runs along these lines, especially when you've got these reptile-type beings that you're describing playing into the, just as a, you know, part of the story or, or picture, they kind of instinctively or just the reflexive way of looking at things is that they see them as demonic creatures or entities. Why do you believe that's not the case? Well, I know it's not the case. And I've only seen Mr. in reptilian form one time, and that was uh, a regression. And I remembered an incident that had happened when I was about three years old, and I saw him in reptilian form, and that was the only time. And he realized I didn't like it. I kept staring at his face, and as the scales pulled away from the foundation, I didn't like it. Are you saying then that these creatures have been visiting you since the time you were at least three years old? Oh, yes. And I believe before this lifetime, I believe I've been with Mr. in many lifetimes. I can't explain it. You were talking about how the different races, 
We do the same thing with humans that we do with the alien beings. You know, we have racism, you know, and it spills over to the, um, if they're not blonde, blue-eyed Nordics. If I had said I had had sex with a blonde, blue-eyed Nordic, everyone would say, oh, how nice. But when you use the word reptilian, people have a different, you know, they're they're going to take over the world. Um, they eat babies. <laughs> First of all, never at any time did I ever feel that I was being taken advantage of or take my or taken against my will, but actually encouraging Mystery's advances. I embrace the feelings that we we shared. And I'm not the only one. You know, if people did research, they'll see there are many people out there. In fact, I want to address this Pamela Stonebrook, who came out 20 years ago, saying exactly what I'm telling you now. And she was ridiculed, same as I am now, and went through hell. She wrote a book. She was a nightclub, a jazz singer in Los Angeles, California, Pamela Stonebrook. And her book was titled Experiencer, A Jazz Singer's True Account of E.T. Contact with Reptilian. She said, you know, reptilians are not politically correct species in the UFO field. And to admit having had sex with one, much less enjoying it, is unacceptable. But I'm not unique. There's, you know, there's so many other women that have gone through exactly what I've gone through. They just haven't come forward you know I've, I've lost family and friends and and i realized it was the best thing that ever happened because i've been healing this last six years this is healing i'm talking about what i'm talking about and sharing and this is my mission and had i allowed my family to stay in my life and my friends with their ridicule and bullying i would never have been able to write this book or come forward and i've had women reaching out to me telling me their experiences and same thing they just can't come forward they're afraid and that's okay you're attending some of the conferences now though too i guess from the looks of things or at least uh you've been posting a little bit of the ufo related type material people i guess getting together there's one coming up in what is it Arkansas, I believe. Yes, um, the UFO um, conference in Ozark Mountains, and I will be speaking there. That's April 13th through the 15th. Is this your first conference, or have you been uh, attending them for a while now? Well, this will be my first speaking engagement, public speaking engagement, so I'm working on that every day. I'm I'm very nervous about it, because I I hear there's a lot of people, like between 600 and... (laughs) 800, maybe more. This is good practice for you then, public speaking. It's uh, perfect, just what you need. You know, when I wrote the book, I said I wanted to be a public speaker, not so much radio. And the reason I wanted to be a public speaker, I said, is because when people see me speaking, they're going to know I'm speaking the truth. That was the first thing I said, the first radio interview I had, I said to um, Michael Melton, who also has a chapter in the book. I said, I'll take a lie detector test. I'll take 50 lie detector tests. Have you done that? Uh, no, I haven't. And I've heard not to do it. They're not admissible in the courts of law. That's one thing. And secondly, from what I understand, they can be, if people know what they're doing, they can yeah. be uh, basically fooled. If someone's guilty, they can fool the, the detector uh, system exactly. into thinking that they're not. 
completely innocent. So Gerald Ford, I know you're from the state of Michigan. He was as well. Now, this is all about the same time. And in fact, there was multiple UFO flaps around this period, was there not, throughout the Michigan and Great Lakes region? Absolutely. In fact, in, in Novi, Michigan, in 1972, during my research, I found that there's a woman, uh, Mrs. McDermott. Again, we're going to talk of synchronicity because I went to school with her grandson, Bill, and Bill and I are still friends. And she had seen daylight again, Novi, Michigan, three. She wasn't alone. She had a neighbor with her. And there was a complete police report done on that one. And then there was in, um, I want to say Bud Hopkins. I can't think of the name. And it was rural swamp gas, one by the airport. And that was Dr. Harry Wellness did some of the work on that. And it wasn't swamp gas. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about, actually. It's, uh, yeah. if I could remember his name as well, the, he was, he would often smoke a pipe. He had glasses, but, you know, bespeckled yeah. old gentleman. Dr. Ah, the name's just not coming to me. I it's, know, it's me either. My- it was quite laughable, though, wasn't it? The whole thing of uh, <laughs> the way that they just, uh, the, that whole business of disinformation, as you've uh, yeah. laid out here, the way that these, I'm not yeah. sure if they're men in black exactly, but pretty uh, sinister type, you know, military type officials. And you find this repeatedly when there have been these sightings, these type of characters do show up and try to, uh, they really start getting quite heavy with people. Very intimidating, yes. And this Faulkner that his brother was married to Cindy went on to become FBI, and he became FBI in 86. I've learned so much, and Novi did an interview with me back in um, 2013. Chief Begall admitted to um, Martin Cohn calling from the two-way radio, stating, strange object overhead. And Chief Begall said to me, I kept thinking, now what's wrong with him? What's wrong with this guy? And he said, send cars, send cars out here. And the chief, of course, sent the police car with the two officers. Dr. J. Allen Hynix was his name. (laughs) Yes. So that was quite, once again, laughable based on what multiple witnesses had testified in scene that it just didn't quite jive with what the nonsense that he was trying to, you know, pedal and 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 uh, push to have the hopefully gullible public buy into. So yes, but Gerald Ford once again. Here's the thing. Yeah. I'm not sure if you know about this, but apparently he was quite supportive of yeah. people, the gen, the public people that came forward and talked about these experiences. And it was one of the issues that uh, helped, I believe, to get him into office. Although, hang on, no, he was appointed as president after nixon stepped down but he he, the vice president position obviously so although he kind of clammed up once he got into office and actually served and sat as president i don't think he really did a whole heck of a lot surrounding the whole business of ufos and so forth you've only got another 15 minutes with us here so we should really kind of in rapid fire succession try to uh just run down and cover as many points here as we can in just quick 30-second or less response time. So, Drax, your son, who uh, I guess is, well, I'm not sure. Where is he? Well, he's he's on board as far as I know. I got pregnant in um, 2012, and I was pregnant for about, and this is another synchronicity that I can't believe. You can't make this stuff up. My speech that I'm going to be giving at Ozark Mountain will be his sixth birthday, April 15th. <laughs> um, 
you're having children at, uh, but you're not exactly uh, a young whippersnapper. You're kind of you're in your fifties now, I'd, I'd imagine. Oh, I was sixty-two when I got pregnant for Drax, and I think I sent you a picture of my stomach. We got one picture with scars that oh, somewhere. On those your body. are the, and I call them claw marks. Now, with the scratch marks from him um, breastfeeding, bonding, which is a necessary thing. I also have a daughter, hybrid daughter who is with Drex. I've seen him more than once, and I there's so much to cover. I, I'm overwhelmed because I've got notes all over, things I wanted to discuss about what the reptilians are doing and what their agenda is and some of the things that they've shown me. And um, A couple questions here coming in from the peanut gallery, okay. Nancy, courtesy of Pirate Joe Eminon and... Before we get to that, a big shout-out to Jennifer Knight, who has joined us here as well. She's logged into YouTube and interacting, engaged here in the comments section, so that's great. What Joe would like to know, though, is whether you ever met Bud Hopkins or visited him at his apartment in New York City. Did you, as well, also ever hear of the Intruders Foundation? No, I never met Bud Hopkins. I wasn't awakened until, like I said, September 1st of 2011, so it's only been six and a half years that all of this has happened to me. Now, there's a difference, I guess, between experiencers and abductees. I'm not sure what that is exactly. Maybe you could outline that for us. But on top of that, you've also talked a little bit about kind of off the record uh, before we went live here. I do think this is an important issue to talk about, though, and address the ego that uh, is present so much competitiveness it seems people with similar stories of uh either uh, you know experiencing some sort of what can only be described as bizarre really out of this world encounters or engagements and just the competitiveness that exists uh so maybe if you could just address the first and then you yes. could uh, follow up well, with the other they both tie in with each other yes i was able to go from an abductee to an experiencer, and I am told that I am now a participant. And it's because of my perception and my openness. Closed minds, closed doors. The thing is, talking about this competitiveness, yes, people want to say they're an abductee, and it's been so terrible and, and frightening and because fear sells. And if you read my book, you'll see the love. There is no fear. There is none. I was on board in 2015 with Mr., in, he was in, in light knowledge energy form. And when we entered the ship, there were several angelic beings, and I understood them to all be different races, if you will. But they don't have racism like we do here. And they were all at their own stations, computer stations, and they were all working together for the good of the planet. And the feeling that I got was the deepest love that I've ever felt. I never wanted to leave that room. They were all working together, all of these different beings. And they were all representing different races, but they were all angels. It was an angel. They had wings just like angels. And Linda Moulton House said that even astronauts have seen these angels. So you're talking a little bit about the wings now, the various uh, races. The Mr. He, I guess, uh, quite what we would typically call reptilian 
in mm -hmm. appearance. Could you maybe go into more detail with respect to the what he actually looked like as the height and so forth and mm -hmm. just general appearance of things? On top of that, what planet are they from? They must have told you something along. Yes, I was only right given on. one word, and I was told that they're not alien to Earth or any planet as they've been here always. But Orion was the word that I was given. Mister is about eight feet tall, brownish-green with scales, a vertical slit eyes, amber, amber eyes, but beautiful. When he looked at me, and even though I was three years old, the first time I remember looking into his eyes, the love was unbelievable. And he's well-respected by all beings. And he had a, a very heavy tail that rested on the floor. Webbed fingers, three, and a thumb with long claws. See, again, you start describing, and it freaks people out because then they want to talk about the blonde, blue-eyed Nordics, just like we're racist here with, you know, everybody's got to be a blonde with blue eyes. They're the good guys. The bad guys always have black hair. Even Remember I Dream of Genie and Bewitched? The evil sisters and cousins had black hair. We're just so racist. One of the questions that uh, we've got here for you, you were talking about communications with mm -hmm. the beings. Was this done verbally as we typically speak amongst one another or not? I have several different modes of communication with these light knowledge energy beings, either telepathic, visions. They'll show me either like little movie clips, um, a knowing. All of a sudden I know things that I, I don't know how I know what I know. I shouldn't know what I know. Illustrations. Do you remember the slides? The old, you could put a slide in, those little teeny square slides, slide projector. Sure. They'll do that with me over and over again until I draw it. And that's how I got all my illustrations for my book. And they also download me. They use me as a computer. Through the manipulation of my pineal gland, they're able to experience, you know, they're researchers too. They're scientists. And they are studying... Fear, anxiety, love, empathy, and sexual pleasure. These are all of extreme importance to them, especially empathy, because empathy is being lost at an alarming rate right now. 40% less empathy now in college students than 20 years ago. 40% less. So we can't continue on this course of creating sociopaths, and that's what we're doing. Because without empathy, you can't have love. You can't have anything. It's the most important emotion, so that that is their main concern. And, that, and there's a speeding up. I hear this from experiencers. They feel this time is, is speeding up at an alarming rate. When's the last time, then, you had some contact with Mr. He? The last message I was given was two weeks ago, and I was told, your messages will reach the ears for those they are intended. So... One of their earliest messages from 2011 was, our messages are not for everyone. Many will be left behind. And that was told three years later to me that they meant that literally. And what they mean by the many left behind are the people who are not evolving um, their consciousness. They're in a stuck state. They're not evolving. Yeah, a lot of talk with respect to this uh, evolution of consciousness and empathy in particular. To me, this is the first that I've ever heard of the so-called reptilian 
role in things as far as being supportive of this goal to raise the vibration of the planet is another talking point or something that we hear about a great deal. So, yeah, a lot to consider and think about. And in fact, apparently humanity is regarded as quite a barbaric and violent uh, species. So they're just there. You use the word angels previously. A lot of, once again, these the fundamentalist Christians will look at these... Well, some people have even called them, I think, Draco or Draconian. Yes, uh, Draconian, Reptilian. I believe Mr. Is, is a Draconian, Reptilian, whatever that is. Could it be a galaxy, perhaps? Or because you also mentioned Orion. What's the tie-in right. there exactly? Whenever I ask for a question, I will get an answer. It could be a year later, and I was given the word Orion, and that was it. And then I asked about being alien, and Mr. said... He wasn't alien to Earth or any planet, as he's always been here. So talk about humans playing God. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we were experimenting on prisoners and racial minorities with exposure to chemical and biological weapons and radiation, mind-altering drugs. There's your evil right there. And, and we hunt for sport. And to make the animal suffer longer, we use bow and arrows. This is way beyond anything that any alien beings would. And the way we kill animals to eat them. I'm, I'm vegan. There's a video called Eating Fear. And um, when you're eating these animals, you're eating their fear. We kill them so barbarically. What we do to chickens and, and cows, we don't have to kill them like that. Right, yeah, there's a lot of talk, in fact, along the lines of what you're getting at here, I guess. The adrenaline that rushes through the body of any creature during the the few moments where they're being butchered i guess sometimes it happens quite instantaneously other times there's uh, torture involved uh, things are drawn out i as you i believe are aware am based out of uh, korea here and uh what they do of course you might have heard about is there's a dog industry butchering dogs for meat and oh. for the restaurants uh, it's something that people across the world have spoken out against, but uh, many Koreans, uh, I would say about half of the population, frankly, still typically take a favorable position towards what's known as potion tongue or mung mung tongue. Mung mung is the word for dog. Some call it puppy tongue, which is oh. quite, yeah, well, and the way that they are killed is if you look on the internet which i tend not to do because i myself can't stand any of these like the brutal the police shootings or any of these graphic the war scenes you know and so on and so forth which clearly are just so far over the top and unnecessary more often than not but what they do with the dogs is uh it's electrocution strangling i'm not sure if they drown them or not it's yeah. It leaves me speechless, frankly. I'm sure a lot of other people, too. Yes. I could never date a man that was a hunter. I mean, I just couldn't. Even my father, who was a combat soldier in World War II, he never hunted. We were always animal lovers. My brain can't even go there. We've almost reached the hour-long uh, the mark that we've uh, agreed upon here, the 60 minutes that you are booked for here as far as uh, the conversation is concerned. One last thing from the peanut gallery, Pirate mm -hmm. Joe would like to know whether uh, you're a star child or if you've heard 
of the star child phenomenon. Yeah, I have heard of them, and I don't know. I try not to put labels on anything, even the beings. I, I, I don't know. I guess finally, really, are you the only person that has spoken out with respect to this particular sighting back in the summer of 1961, or have there been others that have come forward? I know as you've, as you've laid out for our listeners, Cindy, unfortunately, ended up, it sounds like, drinking herself to death. Yes. What of what of the other witnesses? It sounds like there were quite a few people, a uh, number mm-hmm. of police officers, as well as uh, just general people throughout the rural area who had witnessed the event. Anything that you know of? Yep. After I did my interview with the Novi News, I was forwarded an email from a woman who was 15 at the time, and um, she said it was the summer of '61, and she was. Coming home from babysitting, I talked to her twice on the phone and our conversations in the book. And she, like me and Cindy, had never spoken with anyone, even her husband that she'd been married to for years, uh, never mentioned it to him. You know, she was whispering the first time we spoke on the phone. She was terrified speaking about it. And um, she talked about the beam of light. She was a few miles away from where I was. And the time difference, there was a time difference between us. So either she saw the ship after it had to have been three hours after I did. But she didn't want to be um she didn't want her name used. I still have her phone number. She appears in the book then under an anonymous Right. And then I reached out to so I'm still friends with some of the people I went to school with in Novi and that's been a long time. We're talking about the sixties. And there are a few of them that said that they remembered hearing about it. One girl said that her parents told her not to speak about it. So people do remember. It's just that it took me coming out and jarring memories and getting people to talk. Even the chief had put this back in the back of his mind. And I've recorded all of our phone calls, and he knows that. And I I love that he let me record our phone calls. When did you first manage to get back in contact with him then? Another synchronicity. (laughs) I was playing on the computer, and I wanted to find out. And one of the guys I went to school with, uh, David Ames, wrote to me, and he said, you know, if you want to know anything, get in touch with Chief Lee Begall, because he was the police chief at that time. So I went to Google, which is basically all I know about the computer, if (laughs) I know nothing. And I put Chief uh, Lee Begall, Novi, Michigan. And you can do that now, and it come up. And up pops, poof, the following day, he was going to have a street named after him. The following day, 50 years, and the following day. So I immediately got to writing the letter to him, and I was at that street signing the next day, and I handed him my envelope. He held that envelope for an hour. I, he started to open it. I said, don't open it. And um, I've got pictures of him at the street signing. And then I I was at his 95th birthday party, and um, we had a conversation that day, and I also had a conversation with Faulkner, who turned FBI. Cindy was married to his brother, and I had a conversation with him, and that's also in the book. And um, he was pretty mean. He said, we buried it, meaning we buried the subject. Yeah, Jolly Roger that. Novi, Michigan, we're just doing a quick search here via uh, mm-hmm. DuckDuckGo, 
We're going to have to look into this a little more. It looks like there's been a few more sightings in recent years, 2008, apparently, 2013. I'm not sure. It seems quite a hot spot. Have there been any further reports that you're aware of? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Well, you know, that I think about does it because uh, we like to remain true to our word. The one thing that we did not have addressed, though, that we should have, uh, I don't know how far or how much it really complements or suits the conversation, but this this is a pirate ship, as you're probably aware. So, And to gain passage <laughs> or to board the ship, you're expected to provide some kind of uh, pirate story. So we're kind of saving this for the last minute here, but hopefully you got our note that we sent you just the other day and maybe you had some time to yeah. reflect or think about a little pirate story. Anything that comes to mind? Well, I could tell you something that was shown me while I was on the ship. A vision that they gave me. That's perfect. Okay. <laughs> they do this and they did this to evoke the um, emotion of empathy. And it's funny because there's so many other experiencers who have seen this exact same vision. And it's like a movie. I was looking out the large windows of the ship. And uh, as I looked down, I could see that there was a tremendous wind. And I watched as the trees bent head first to the ground. And the electrical poles, one by one, started tumbling. They would quickly take me to another scene, and and I saw a large body of water filled with people struggling to stay afloat. Some were waving their arms to the ship to help them, signaling for help, and they reminded me of bobbing apples. And I was able to distinguish each individual's face and their unique fear and I was able to hear each individual's voice and their screams for help. And it was a horrible vision. And I thought it wasn't fair that why was I able to see it and not a part of it? And I was told, you must watch and you must feel these emotions because they were studying them through me. I watched people falling to their deaths, hanging helplessly. I was just overwhelmed with so many different scenes of death and destruction. Here's my little story for you. <laughs> so the pirate tie-in is the death and the destruction. Ship. The oh, oh, the ship. Okay. So yeah, you're right. You're oh, that's right. That's exactly right. Because you talked he about Mr. Ship. Mr. Yes. Yeah, there you go, Mr. He, and you're a child of twelve. You're like, look, Mr. He. The only ship I know of are these pirate ships. Is that right? That's exactly what you exactly. said. Exactly. There you exactly. go. Exactly. Well, exactly. Here we full circle now with Mr. He, and here's your pirate ship. So. <laughs> Yep. Greetings. Ahoy to Mr. He. Don't eat us, please. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we like to take a lighthearted approach here as well, exactly. too. It's, uh, yeah. I do believe, important not to take oneself too seriously. That leads exactly. into a little too much stress. Exactly. And, and I so appreciate my interview with you, and you've been wonderful. And thank you so much. Oh, our pleasure. And, uh, yeah, we're... Uh, I guess just in closing then. Yeah, and if anybody wants to get a hold of me, they can go to um, Tremaine.Nancy at Gmail, and um, I will get back to them, and it will be completely confidential, or they can reach me on Facebook. And, uh, you know, if there's somebody out there that wants to talk about their experiences, I'm more than happy to, to listen to them because I know how difficult, you know, a time they're going through. So I'm here for you. You've got your book available through Amazon. I'm not sure where else, but it is being 
promoted and published courtesy of Grant Cameron's It's All Connected publishing company. Uh, on top of that, you have a conference that you're going to be attending in the Ozark region coming up just shortly. It's your first ever formal public speaking event. Do you want to just provide us once again just with a just a recap of those the specifics? Yes, it's the Ozark Mountain UFO Conference, April 13th through the 15th, and that's in Arkansas. And um, I will be speaking on reintroduction of the reptilians. That's my topic. And the book, um, Symbiosis, uh, Love, Beyond Space and Time, is on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Well, there we go. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. We're going to open things up now to the public, just to basically uh, current events and so forth. Uh, we'll let you go, though, and uh, all the best. Happy sailing. Thank you so much. You have a great evening. All right. Bye-bye. There we go. Nancy Tremaine sharing her story. Symbiosis. Quite, uh, quite an ordeal. Quite something. Not exactly the sort of thing most people experience on a day-to-day -day basis, let alone once in a lifetime. Isn't that something, though? Multiple witnesses, and then following the event, a systematic effort to silence everybody. Where have we seen this before? Standard operational procedure is what it seems to be more than anything. So we're going to open the lines now for the following, well, half hour or so, as well as generally talk about WPRPN, Pirate Radio Podcasts, current events, all sorts of good things. Uh, we've made a few notes here and uh, hoping to sink our teeth into that, provide a bit of an analysis and so forth. Hopefully it won't be too much of a <laughs> challenge given the fact that we managed to make our way through the Operation Secret Santa 10-day epic campaign this past Christmas. So half an hour of uh, open lines and jawboning all things current events shouldn't hopefully be too much of a problem. Big thanks to everyone that tuned in today, of course. Not everyone logged in via YouTube. Jennifer Knight, Pirate Joe Eminon, Pirate Joe triple three not always the best time for him with his kids or just general schedule looks like oh yeah he's got his son off to school studying chinese level one i'm sorry at one one o'clock there we go so yeah what are your thoughts believable real completely contrived and fabricated or not Sound quite convincing to me. Not the sort of thing exactly I would go around fabricating or making up. There are some people that do these sort of things, of course, but it seems that there were, once again, multiple witnesses, and that really uh, that changes things a lot, doesn't it? Tends to add a little more credibility to people's stories. So, uh, breaking news, John Ford going to court next week with information that Pirate Joe Eminon provided, and a new lawyer. Not sure what that means exactly. It would be great if the lawyer 
sprung him from his present incarceration. It's quite ridiculous and sad. It's a sad state of affairs, the way that politics really it destroys so many people's lives. John is a good man by all accounts and indications, never harming or hurting one. All he wanted was the truth. And for some people, it seems the truth is a bitter pill. It's not always the sort of thing that uh, they want to have you talking about. Some alternative version of events, some disinformation is more often the case, the sort of thing that they would prefer we uh, subscribe to and uh, promote ignorantly, blindly, foolishly, without thinking, stopping, reflecting, lending some critical thought to whatever matter it is that happens to be on the table. So we're going to delve a little bit into current events here, as well as what we presently have going on via WPRPN at the moment. We, of course, have got our subdomain, network subdomain URLs available up for grabs, $15 per year for your subscription annually, half of which, I'm sorry, let me, I stand corrected, one-third of which goes directly to charity. So if you take out an annual subscription with the network WPRPN, and that, by the way, stands for World Pirate Radio Podcast Network, $5 directly to charity. The other five back into the network kitty to help cover operating expenses, first and foremost. And the other $5, why don't I have this written down someplace? <laughs> oh, geez. Well... I'll get that, uh, I've got to look into that. Not as clear on that as I should be, unfortunately. So we'll just set that aside for the moment. I think people hopefully get the idea, though, that there's a significant percentage of the subscription fee that goes toward charity, the other portion going to cover network operating expenses, obviously. It's all done through WordPress. All you need is a username and an email and a password, too, just like most every other online account. We could take a look at the upcoming guests that we have here over the course of March and April. I'm going to pull that calendar file up here in just a second. Let's talk a little bit about, speaking of donations, charity and the like, that we have got two main options at the present moment, Patreon as well as PayPal. We do prefer PayPal, if people are interested in directly donating to the show and the wider network, and that mostly, of course, is because we end up getting more of your what it is that you're sharing or offering rather than having to set that aside and allow Patreon to pick up its little whatever sort of fee it is that they are claiming on their end of things. So definitely uh, people want to think about that. If you've had a chance to listen to any of our shows, maybe you've listened to a few of our shows, have you gotten much out of what it is that we've put together for the public here, for your listening pleasure over the course of the past two years now? We are entering into our third year. There's a lot there to be found in the archives, a lot of work that goes into putting out these post-produced MP3 
audio shows as well. You'll notice there's a big difference between the raw YouTube feed and what we archive over on Podomatic, that the MP3s on Podomatic are a lot more pleasurable, hopefully, cleaner, smoother, a listening experience. That's the whole point. That's the reason why we put the amount of time and effort into things that we do. People that we have coming up here, March and April, we are booked all the way up until about, it looks like the first part of June. We had William Ramsey on just a couple weeks ago. He will be returning the first week of June to share with us his knowledge, theories and the like regarding the West Memphis Three, Damien Eccles, who he does not himself regard as much of a fan, particularly, claims that there's something more to Mr. Eccles than he would like the public to know or be aware of, a darker, more occult, that word simply just, of course, means hidden side to the man's character. And he may have himself actually participated in several murders back, well, I guess uh, quite a few years ago now. I'm not sure when the exact time frame was. Of course, William will lay that all out for us come June 1st. Robert Homrich, May 4th, which we build as an Illuminati conspiracy power elite theme show. Robert Homrich will be returning. People can go once again back into the archives and look at what it is that we managed to put together with him more than a year ago now, regarding the esoteric nature and design of Washington, D.C. So that May 4th will be a great time for him to return. Of course, May 1st said to be the birth date of the Illuminati, among a number of other things, time of Russian Revolution or what have you. So we'll go into more detail and get the specifics, a clearer picture of things at that time, first week of May. Robert Vanderbrook coming up later down the road to the following week. We've got him slotted in there to appear May 11th. He himself, if people are not aware, is uh, said to be a, a psychic of sorts, really had him first drawn to our attention courtesy of Johnny Webb out of London, England. Johnny, of course, himself being one of Dr. J's, in fact, I think Dr. J's only co-host. That's the Dr. J Radio Live show that uh, people once again can find via YouTube and the like. Some great archives there. Not sure what uh, Dr. J has been up to lately other than trying to focus on recuperating uh, and restoring his health, regaining his strength, and trying to maybe attempt to restart or reignite, relaunch the show that he had running there for several years. A lot of great guests, a lot of great material, And a lot of great things to be learned, really, from the people that he had joining him. May and April, well, we've got uh, 
Oh, March. You know, it's just jam-packed full of all types of uh, great characters here. So maybe we won't go into too much more detail as far as who we've got booked and who will be appearing over the next few months. Peter Daly will be back on April 7th, once again returning. This will be his second appearance. He himself based out of Korea. We had a great conversation more than a year ago now regarding the cults of Korea and beyond. So we'll revisit the discussion that we had earlier as well as hopefully manage to traverse and converse, explore all kinds of new ideas that are related to his specialty field of interest. April 20th, 420 World Roundtable. Hey, that's an annual item and feature, folks. Just as we typically try to hold something each year in November to mark the assassination of John F. Kennedy. That was a big deal. We had Carmine Savastano join us, of course, just last week. Went a little bit into the JFK files, some of the more recent findings, some of his thoughts with respect to various claims regarding the assassination, as well as some of the more perhaps dubious characters who have themselves made claims and perhaps tried to cash in quite a cottage industry surrounding the JFK assassination. And not everyone, of course, can always necessarily be trusted question is who's telling the truth and who's not that's what we have to work out and decide got about half a dozen people that are tuning in right now so that's great listening to us live here via youtube uh it's been a great show we're going to probably carry things through for the next 10 minutes or so so if you do have any questions or anything that you'd like to share with us by all means now is the time 21 and a half years and counting for John. Thank you, Pirate Joe. So there we go. Yeah, nearly 22 years. What's it going to take to set John Ford free? The fact that he managed to get himself into the predicament that he currently finds himself is itself quite troubling. So we may, in fact, try to book something. I believe for June is what, if I'm memory serves me, so... Maybe we can do that, Pirate Joe. Reach out and see who might be interested in joining us. I know we had a great conversation. I think it was episode 64, if I'm not mistaken. A lot of work had to go into the post-production, of course, too, just given the fact that the sound quality was so rotten, really, and uh <laughs> things not running too well from a technical end of the picture, unfortunately. So hope that you did enjoy today's show. Really quite something. So it's always quite interesting the way that we wind things down here. Manage to step away, take a bit of a break. We will be heading to the after show, of course, too. Just the next 10 minutes or so. So people are welcome to join us likely via appear.in is where we'll be running things. 
but it all varies. Some people don't always manage to work things out as far as how that one-click platform <laughs> operates, and uh, we have to carry on via Skype or what have you. Google Hangouts, not so much, it seems, so I'm not sure why that is, but on top of uh, the John Ford case, of course, we've got James Heydrich, Carolyn Rose Goida, and Raw Rights, Richard Whipple, out of Poland. All four of those cases, those characters, their stories, we've talked about quite extensively here, courtesy of Pirate Radio Podcasts. People, once again, are encouraged to go into the archives and take a look at what it is that we've managed to put together with respect to each of these individuals' stories. Uh, speaking of archives, shows and the like, we've also managed to put an iTunes account together. So if anyone out there does have iTunes, they're encouraged, of course, to download as many of our shows as they like, as well as, and this is the most important thing on top of it all, put a review together. I guess you can get as many as five stars if people really enjoy what it is you're putting together. If they figure you totally suck, of course, it would be <laughs> one star, or I'm not sure if, uh, or less, half a star, or who knows exactly. So that's what definitely, as with most podcast people, are encouraged to do when they find themselves present over on iTunes. We got about 300 subs now, too, as well, via YouTube. So that's great. Not 300,000 or 300 million, but 300. So it's a bit of a milestone. Uh, over on Minds.com, Pirate Radio Network, the channel we have put together over there, initially launched by Satori D, Daniel De La Rosa, just a couple of years ago, and then handed over to us so that we can work on, well, collectively, really, doing our best to run things. We managed to surpass the half a million mark, if you can believe that. Half a million views over on Minds.com. Not too shabby. I don't think, well, there's no way we've got that amount of exposure via Facebook. And we've been there far longer so it really does say a lot for Minds.com and the ability, if one does engage themselves over on that censorship-free platform, open-sourced as well, too, let's not forget, as well as a place where private messaging is encrypted compared to something like Facebook where there's no protection or safeguards at all with respect to privacy. In fact, all your personal details and information are just freely handed over pretty much to the authorities because of things like the Unpatriot Act. Quite uh, parallel to the legislation that Adolf Hitler signed into law back in, I guess it was the 1933, around that time, the Enabling Act following the burning of the Reichstag so that's another thing, too, folks. Don't forget, everything Hitler did was legal. Everything any dictator ever does is legal. Why? 
they write the laws. Might not be a good law, might not be a just law, might not be a moral law, but those are the laws. And then, of course, it all, in many cases, many ways, boils down to question of interpretation, which I guess first is left or handed over to the authorities, whoever they may be, even in the context and cases of where we find ourselves now, social media, YouTube, been a lot of people lately quite peeved about how YouTube has been handling things, taking away the monetization option. It's ridiculous. Don't really want to get into too much detail regarding this issue, but it's just quite, <laughs> quite puzzling and really does not reflect well on YouTube, of course. There's other options that are uh, at present appearing and being put together, including, I guess, DTube, as well as, well, there's other platforms, it seems. So maybe, maybe there's a few, maybe Pirate Joe knows of one or two, or Jennifer Knight might like to, uh, maybe share your thoughts there, of course, via the, the live chat, as I see you are doing and have been over the course of today's show presentation. So thank you very much. It's much appreciated. You are a big part of what it is that we put together here every week. So we have the opportunity to engage and interact with you. You help to steer things along, really. Riding shotgun. Not exactly up in the crow's nest, but helping to deliver and share thoughts and messages, updates, or what have you. Facebook is where rational thought goes to die, says Pirate Joe Eminon. June 12th, be great to do a roundtable. Yeah, so we'll definitely set that date aside and hopefully manage to maybe work on putting it together. Marilyn Carlson is somebody that I've been meaning to reach out to, Joe. So maybe if you could do that, I'll try to remember once we perhaps even wrap today's stream get on top of that and picture the idea in the meantime let me just say that as far as news stories go didn't have as much time to prepare here as i'd hoped but billy graham recently kicked the bucket 99 years old not too shabby almost a full century one of the interesting things that stands out regarding mr graham is how people have talked about him being a Crypto Freemason, secretly, not really too open with the whole business. But on top of that, you know, this really does not reflect well on his legacy or career. If it's true, hashtag fact check, then I'm not sure what really can be said. But Tex Mars, the claim that he has made, and I'd like to, if I get the chance, maybe tune into and see what he says. Maybe he'll repeat or recap or revisit the whole issue, but... One of his earlier shows had talked about Billy Graham in, I'm not sure if he was actually in North Korea or not, but he had some North Koreans who he was in contact with for whatever reason. They professed to him their profound and sincere belief and faith in Christ Jesus, as Christians they tend to do. And what Billy Graham apparently did was turned around and reported this all to the North Korean authorities behind their backs. He betrayed them. Much as 
Let's not forget Paul, who was originally Saul of the Bible and the New Testament and had a very central leading role and hand in things as far as shaping the New Testament was concerned. Similarly, he hunted down and persecuted Christians before he supposedly saw the light on the road to Damascus and decided maybe it was time to change his tune. I myself not a huge fan of Paul. Neither was Thomas Jefferson, apparently, who had his own special Bible, having said to have taken a pair of scissors <laughs> and systematically, surgically, I guess in many ways, cut out and extracted everything that had to do with this uh, sinister, devious, duplicitous character. Quite controversial, to say the least. Unfortunately, many modern-day so-called Christians seem to uh, hold him in a high light. I only wish that they'd maybe reflect a little more on things and think about why it is that they do that. So isn't that quite something, though? Yeah, Billy Graham betraying these poor North Koreans who had come to him professing their faith in Christ. And behind their backs, he reports them, supposedly, according to Tex Mars, to the North Korean authorities. What became of these people, one can only imagine. While we're on the topic of North Korea, though, too, it's interesting, let's not forget, there's been many reports of so-called deaths and people being a hand at death sentences, whether they're family members or former girlfriends of the current commander-in-chief, the dear leader, Kim Jong-un. As things turn out, though, too many cases, uh, to the point where it's become something of a trend almost and really <laughs> does not reflect well on Western media who seem to glorify and really get a kick out of reporting on how bad a man Kim Jong-un is. But it's the so-called Lazarus effect, where these people, the former girlfriends and family members and the like, who supposedly, according to Western media reports, have been killed, amazingly, miraculously, turn up alive. What's up with that? So yeah, we got to be really careful who we trust when it comes to Media, especially. Big time. A lot of mind control to the whole thing. So, And the word government itself, let's not forget, does mean mind control. There again, question of, well, who's governing who? Do you govern yourself or do you leave that up to somebody else to take care of you and your affairs? Especially your spiritual house or your mental state, and the way of seeing things, the way that you react to your environment, the thoughts that you hold to be true or not. So I think that about covers it. The few notes that we did have put together here, we are, let's not forget, looking as well for a, a co-anchor. It's interesting too, because I should say within the context of things, that we are hoping to put together a weekly news show. Have that streaming out here as soon as possible, folks. So that's uh, some interesting kind of exciting news. When we get more time to promote that, we'll definitely do so. So many things on the table here coming in at us from an endless number of 
angles and sources, of course, as you can imagine, throughout the web, that it's uh, gets to the point where it's a little hard to manage at times. I myself, as chief communications officer, doing my best, though, folks, to uphold my end of things and perform my duties to the best of my abilities. On that note, though, I think it is about time to bid you adieu. It's been great. Very much appreciated. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in and being part of things. We are going to transition on now to the after show, where if you drop on by, we can converse pretty much about anything. It's an open format approach we take for one hour. The feature, or rather, I should say, premium content, Rogue's Gallery, strictly Patreon supporters who are able to access that. It's been a blast, though. Episode 95, Pirate Radio Podcasts. Can you believe it? Nancy Tremaine, what a story. Until we meet again out on the high digital seas, on behalf of Captain Long John Sinclair and all the rest of the crew of the Robin Hood, I'm your host, as always, the ship's chief communications officer, Jaffe Ryder. I know. There we be. Having carefully looked over each of our navigation panel instruments, checking every level, switch, dial, cable, knob and pulley, by all accounts and indications, we indeed see it's time once again to drop anchor inside Mystic Bay and draw an end to another week of Pirate Radio Podcasts. Remember... If you're looking for a little more lively online action, keep in mind we've likely got yet another great free-flowing rogues gallery after show coming up for the next hour in either Skype, Google Hangouts, or Peer.in. Also, if you've in any way enjoyed or found yourself benefiting from the shows we've tirelessly produced over the past two years, you might want to drop by our Patreon tip jar page. Lend a little support. Half of all network donations go directly to charity. Help to keep those numbers growing over on Patreon, and we'll be able to extend even more of a generous pirate hand. Looking forward now to the balance of 2018, we're still not quite yet booked. So if you yourself have a new, novel, intriguing, or otherwise underreported idea unique individual, or pressing item in mind, be sure to either drop us a line directly over on WPRPN.com or fire us a quick email via PirateOneRadio at gmail.com. We're always open to exploring fresh creative suggestions, intriguing guest ideas, cutting-edge discussion topics, and captivating themes. You can further embark on your own personal pirate journey by either liking, commenting on, subscribing to, or just following us via virtually any mainstream social media platform, including Twitter, Facebook, Google+, or Minds.com. So don't forget to become engaged, 
Until we meet again out on the high digital seas. I'm your host as always, the ship's chief communications officer, Javi Ryder. Tally ho.